Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Awapakal and Waramai people whose land I am working from today. My guest today is writer, musician and zine maker uh, Bastian Foxfielen, who's here today to talk about their debut memoir, How to Be Between, published this May by Garamondo. Bastian, it's a delight to have you here. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, so before we begin chatting, uh, can I ask you to open the show by just reading a little bit from How to Be Between, your incredible memoir? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this is from the very beginning. Picture me at 26. It's 2014 and my hair is short and fawn colored. I'm growing it out from when I shaved it. I wear glasses. I have a light beard and mustache. I wear my clothes loose over a small frame. I'm more boyish than I've ever been, although I don't care about that as much these days. I've grown tired of thinking about how to put together an outfit that will pass, how to speak low, how to walk manly, how to accentuate the hairs that have grown unaided across my lower face for half my life. I refer to the small bumps beneath my t-shirt as my chest. If you peered inside me with an ultrasonic frequency, you'd see that my ovaries are adorned with dark circles, like a string of black pearls, but this doesn't bother me. My period comes once a month now, like it never used to, and I don't mind. I'm beginning to see how it's possible for many things to be true at once. I live with the kind of body that ovulates, with breasts and the rest, and facial hair that some say shouldn't be there, and a slippery kind of gender identity that I haven't quite pinned down yet. I've been living in Sydney for almost four years. Over time, it seems that the closer I look at my body and my gender, the blurrier the edges become. At first, I was one thing, a girl thing. Then at 22, I announced to the world that I was, in fact, a boy thing. Lately, though, I have not been so sure. Right now, I have other things on my mind. I'm in the garage underneath my family home on the south coast of New South Wales, confronting an old filing cabinet. It's four deep-bellied drawers filled with paper. I have the bad habit of not letting things go. The filing cabinet is almost as tall as I am. Its beige metal surface is covered in magnets and stickers of indie record labels, vegan slogans, a zine shop, the Greenpeace logo. I'm standing on the dusty concrete floor with the garage door open. Outside, the clear tone of bellbirds echoes through the eucalyptus trees that grow from the back of the house to the top of the escarpment. On the morning breeze is the smell of salt water and seaweed. I know I'd rather be walking Jonah, my family's Labrador, down the gravel path beside the train line, under the Morton Bay fig trees in Glastonbury Gardens, and across the road to the dog beach. But mum has asked me to sort through my stuff. I'm in the belly of the whale and I'm scared. The past is a dangerous place. Every few years I get an itch. When my skin begins to feel tight and my life begins to feel small, I shed. Objects, cities, friends, identities. There are pieces of me scattered all over, many of which I have not come back for. For the past two years, I've been living in a terrace house in Petersham, but in a few months' time, I'll be moving overseas. My bedroom will empty out, clothes taken to charity bins, books given to friends, posters on the wall taken down and pasted into scrapbooks. I seem to find pleasure in abandoning the most recent past, the life I've built myself, the person I've become. The problem is I'm sentimental. 
I've never been willing to scorch the earth behind me when I leave. There are some things I put in boxes. I save these things for later, whenever that is. Unburdening myself makes it easier to run. When I was a child, my uncle watched me playing in the park and said, she's a runner. I remember on the cusp of puberty, competing in the 100 meter sprint at the school sports carnival. I was a soccer playing tomboy. I had strong legs, I ran hard, feet pounding the buffalo grass. I wanted to win. In the last few seconds, I sensed an incredible source of energy inside me, an electrical tingle, a surge of power that would catapult me forwards at light speed. But for some reason, I couldn't tap into it. I always fell short at the finish line. By high school, I had given up on the whole idea of physical activity. My body was becoming an unwelcome place. As the strength of the childhood prophecy wore off, a new one came to take its place, a darker prophecy, one that would mark me as different, other. The prophet, my hormones. Speaking through me, they began to reveal my destiny, the ways in which I would complicate ideas about gender just by existing. How I would come to present with apparent femaleness as one who should be a woman, yet with a beard that would forbid people to read me as such. And so the hair began to grow. The hair was like a question mark upon my face. Everywhere I went, people demanded to know, what are you? I said I was a girl thing, but in truth, I've never been this, not completely, not easily, not freely. My passage through the world as girl, then woman, has been blocked, questioned, challenged. People have asked for my passport, for proof. They have reached out a hand to pull on my beard to see if it is real. Unlike my 19th century counterparts, Madame Clefulia, Annie Jones, Julia Pastrana, I am no bearded lady. I have no genteel manners. I will not perform. I will not permit transgressions. I do not exist to satisfy public curiosity, an abject object on display. I'm not here to embody the abnormal so others can gaze upon me and feel that they themselves are happily normal. You may have questions about my beard. Why, how, when? You may want to see a picture, confirm that it exists. Sometimes it is not visible. Sometimes I play the circus magician and I make the hair disappear. It has not really gone though. The disappearance is a temporary illusion and the hair returns to center stage in time. I assure you, my beard is real and it has a story, but this is the least interesting thing about me. Yet it is the thing I must explain, not just to others, but to myself. And so I go in search of an answer to that question, the one that everyone should ask themselves, but few do. What are you? Mm, wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Um, there's so much I want to unpick um, from the book. Uh, but let me begin by saying, you know, I, I think one of the key thrusts um, through the whole book is this rather wonderful, um, sometimes painful, I guess, uh, for you, but rather wonderful notion of the possibility of being many things at once. And, and that in some ways, that's kind of, it shouldn't be, but it's kind of a subversive notion. The idea that, that, you know, we don't have to, that nobody has to be pigeonholed into a, you know, a single type of identity. 
So can you just talk a little bit more about that? Because that's, you know, that is the underlying kind of um, almost exuberance through the book. It's really um, quite an, and not always happy, but it's an uplifting book, I feel, and that it does open those possibilities. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that part of the part of yeah the exploration like that that kind of like seeking of like how how do I find a way to describe myself how do I identify myself how do I like find a you know kind of like label or a container or something that can communicate to others um what kind of person I feel myself to be uh you know I think through the the narrative I'm showing that um labels can really truly define you <laughs> no matter how expansive they they can be and uh that even when you seem to find you know your community I suppose like the people who you think oh, these people will understand me because they're just like me uh that sometimes that can have its limitations as well like there's always a certain kind of um performance uh to identity in terms of like um, just, you know, you want people to like you, you want to fit in. And so you might just tailor little aspects of yourself so that you uh, fit in with your friends or your family or work or that kind of thing. And I suppose that makes life easier in some ways, but it also makes life harder because you have to, yeah, ignore the parts of you that, that don't fit or that might grate against other people or that you feel might not be understood. Um so in some ways I kind of think, yeah, the book is about um, instead of like coming into a sense of coherent identity and wrapping it all up neatly at the end and going, I found my label, you know, <laughs> and isn't it great and let's celebrate it. Instead it's kind of like, uh, yeah, try, I guess I, I, I tried to, um, disrupt that idea that you can ever find a sense of stable identity and that perhaps the truest thing is just to acknowledge that we're constantly changing. Mm. It's a, it's kind of a beautiful tension that I think drives the book forward is this notion of a, you know, this, I guess, acceptance and radical, almost radical acceptance of, um, of all different varieties of identity and, and wanting to feel, you know, what you, what you said it, you know, the last line of wanting to know who am I and where do I, where do I fit? You know, what, what, what kind of a thing am I, um, you know, um, and, you know, and that's not just from a gender point of view, although obviously that's an important criteria, but, you know, in terms of um, just, you know, what is my role as a human being on this earth? You know, and that's the question we all, we all face. Um, some of us, you know, in, in painful ways, and some of us in easy ways. But uh, you know, I think it's a it, it's a, a human. Um, the, the whole point we're here is perhaps to ask that question. Um, but by the same token, um, what I think is so wonderful about your book, and, and and I think it's in the inherent in the title, is this notion that it's okay to also allow for those gray spaces to be actually um, it's okay to be in between and to, to fluctuate and to be many things, uh, as I said, many things all at once, you know, so it's really wonderful to have that and go, it's okay to be anywhere um, that you might be on the spectrum 
and every, you know, every, and nobody is in one spot, um, but it's also okay to, to move and to change and to, to be two things at once at any point, point in time. Totally. And <laughs> totally. And also I think, you know, memoir, I guess as a, as a genre, there is this sort of idea of like your, you might be, you might begin at this chaotic point in your life or uh, with an experience of trauma and um, I guess there's this idea of like healing it and like coming to you know a point of like integration and uh, like while that is compelling as a narrative I think sometimes there's a danger that we, we would simplify those stories in order to provide a happy ending I guess. Or <laughs> well, just to make them easier. Um, to to yeah. you know, to say okay well here's the structure of it it's writing is always hard absolutely yeah like finding a structure for the book like figuring out what the narrative is pulling a pulling a narrative out of all of the many experiences of your of your life is extremely challenging <laughs> um so to pull something out to to write a book that's an enjoyable experience to read without kind of um yeah, simplifying too much or erasing the parts of your life that maybe don't make sense. Um, yeah, it is It is tricky. <laughs> but I think I just tried to aim, to aim for not having like a, a an ending to the book that felt like um, that this was the end because obviously I had many more experiences and still have experiences to this day with where yeah how do I fit in how do I make sense of myself um how do I embrace the yeah diversity of me <laughs> yeah and the transformations and you know obviously um then we maybe we can talk about this at some point too but you know motherhood itself is a you know is a major physical transformation um yeah. of the body you know it's a it's a, a it's almost, uh, you know, an outrageous opening (laughs) to a a whole other way of of seeing identity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely in the midst of that at the moment. (laughs) At the same time, as it almost seems conventional. It's a weird tension, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's, I mean, I feel like I am just trying to figure out what I can possibly say about the experiences of motherhood at the moment. So it might take me a little, a little moment, but I've been really enjoying reading um, Rachel Cusk's A Life's Work. That's giving me a lot of <laughs> sense of like, oh, okay, it's not just me going absolutely mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, I'm, immediately started to think about, uh, you know, Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts, which is impossible not to, to reference in, in any... I have been rereading. <laughs> yeah, this idea of this kind of um, dual transformation that happens through that book, you know, one, yeah. one person in one direction and another in the other direction from a, you know, from, again, an identity point of view. Uh, very yeah. fascinating to watch those those changes and see them in, in that context, which I think, you know, some of that tension also happens in your book this this notion again of of motherhood not just being a i guess a um, biological imperative but also being one of the many um you know choices that we make along that spectrum Mm. yeah for sure and even that doesn't you know that's not a fixed spot either it's not like okay now i'm in this you know now i am forever mother you know, and, and there's no other <laughs> aspect of me as a human being, because there are yeah. obviously all those multitudes continue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
So um, you said, and I immediately felt from the from the opening, which you read, um, that this is really a very much a book about finding your voice. Um, and of course, that's that's also your concrete voice. So the beautiful singing voice, the writing voice, um, and again, that acceptance of the validity of being unique, you know, the um, ability of, of speaking of the self uh, with all its multitude. So it's, um, it's interesting. You talked to me a little bit more about, and we, we've started to talk about that already, but, you know, this notion of what is it, what is a voice and how does it manifest for you? It's mm, a beautiful question. Uh, I mean, I think probably one of my earliest experiences of really um, like giving myself permission to write in my own voice was from making zines. Um, so I I studied creative writing at, at university at Wollongong Uni and uh, that was a really wonderful experience and great community. It was wonderful to be with, you know, other you know, young writers starting to develop our craft. Uh, but I guess I always sort of felt like, I'm writing for an assessment and I'm going to be marked on this and I'm trying to be like a, a real writer. I'm trying to do literary writing here, you know. And then I started making zines, like publishing personal zines kind of around that period as well. And uh, for me that was a lot more just kind of like write whatever you want, however it comes out, usually just kind of um, spur of the moment. One of my early zines I wrote on a typewriter at a at a party with the with the writing crew <laughs> so you know it was very this very spontaneous writing and I think um that the yeah the way that zines are um you know very unpretentious and very kind of off the cuff unedited unfiltered I think that really gave me the freedom to just uh, let it out and uh over time especially you know going through this process of figuring out how to change from personal zine writing, which is very short bursts of writing uh, that get published for a very small audience so you don't really worry too much about, you know, how they how they read, um, learning how to write uh, something that would be sustainable for a book. It was always this, like, tension between, like, um, uh, the more kind of, like, structured writing where I'm like, this is how it should be you know quote unquote should and then this more like free flowing like uh I'm trying to get this idea down but I'm not sure how to do it so I'm just going to free write for a bit and then you look back on it and you're like oh that's that's how I want it to sound you know <laughs> and I'll work on it from from there um so yeah for me I think it, the that process of like finding my voice in the writing was really just about letting letting it be just accepting it accepting what comes out of me and knowing that even though it's kind of flawed as all writing will always be um that that's what makes it beautiful and I went through quite like a similar experience with my singing voice um you know wanting it to always sound perfect and being unhappy with like what it sounded like when I was recording and trying to record things over and over again. And then, you know, what working with my bandmate who is uh, now my husband, um, just kind of like learning to appreciate that those, you know, subtle, subtle little cracks and, you know, parts that to my ear sound imperfect, um, that that's what gives it character and that's what makes it relatable and, uh, you know, not sound like 
auto tune, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so kind of wabi sabi, isn't it? It's to to find um, those like points of vulnerability because they're openings for other people to, um, I guess, to connect. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, again, there's this interesting tension between, I guess, the fixed nature of a book. So it's out. This is your, you know, you've been working on it for seven years uh, and it's a, a concrete publication with a, you know, pretty high end, I would say, um, publisher as well. So it's out there. It's, um, you know, it's it's fixed in time. <laughs> um, and and yet the story is, again, it's a story of opening and a story of multi multiplicity and a story of, of uh, allowing for a generative um, outcome. So do, do you feel like um, in some ways, again, this tension of talking about this, this kind of fixed thing and saying, okay, well, that's who I, you know, that's who I was and these are the things that I experienced. Um, it, it, does that feel constraining to you or is it actually freeing to say, I can move from there now? Um, that this, this yeah. piece is kind of an artifact that um, is a slice if you like, like a photograph that that's done mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not only the the story of my you know late teens and and twenties. It's also the story that I was able to tell about that time from you know writing it from my late twenties to mid thirties. So you know the story that I would write about that time when I'm forty will be different. Uh, so I think. It was really difficult to finish the book because of of this exact issue that you've raised. Um, of okay, I I you know I want to communicate this message about yeah accepting that you um, will change over time and are not a fixed kind of you know uh, person in in a lot of ways, um, which I think is is true for for everybody. Um, but yeah, <laughs> how do you do that when the book has a beginning and an end and it's uh, printed and it's it, I can't go back and edit this a little bit? Um, yeah, I think I just have to accept that it's the story. It's a story that I told about myself when as a writer of this particular age, you know. Um, and I think I think we do tend to rewrite our personal stories, even just the ones that we share like at a dinner party with friends for example um we might tell a particular story differently like especially after a major life event like becoming a parent you know we might start reevaluating all of those stories that we tell people to communicate something about who who we are um although what i have learned over the years is that not everybody tells stories about themselves to communicate who they are <laughs> some people don't tell stories about themselves <laughs> That's true. But but memory is always a recreation, isn't it, to, to some extent? I mean, you know, we we have to connect dots. It's like when you wake up from this amorphous dream and you have to you have to create a narrative out of it to make any sense yeah. at all of it. So yeah. I guess there's a creative process always that you're, you know, if you're telling a story or even if you're thinking about a story. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um do you find, I mean, some of some of 
you know, the book is is really quite um, quite tender, you know, and some of it is quite painful. Um, not all the experiences were were positive, um, but do you, do you find now that the book's out in the world and even in the retelling, because obviously you now have to <laughs> you now have to talk about it a lot as you're doing now, and you know relive a lot of those things um, that took place. But do you find that um, the book itself has kind of removed the poison and made it a bit more impersonal and and general for you? Ah, uh, yeah, I think that because I went through this very long process of writing and rewriting and uh you know I wrote you know many 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 tens of thousands of words more than what ended up published uh I think it gave me the opportunity to just um you know forgive myself or forgive other people or forgive random people on the street that I interacted with um and I think well I hope that the finished product is very um uh you know, I took anything sort of spiteful out of the book. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's beautifully warm. Yeah. Look, um if I had to use one word to describe it, I would say warm. You know, warm. There's it just I, I'm glad warm. it comes through. Yeah, yeah. It's um but yeah, I think definitely that process of 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 writing, rewriting, editing and and asking myself what what really do I want to communicate about about these experiences? Um, you know, when when all of that kind of like um, yeah, mental anguish or emotion kind of like starts to burn off or like simmer down. You know, like when I'm when we have the reduction. I don't know. I have I haven't. I'm using a cooking metaphor for something I don't do. <laughs> but, um, Condensory. <laughs> I think yeah, when you when you really sort of like get down to it, what do you want to say about those experiences? And um, yes, I wanted to communicate that they some of those experiences were painful because um, it wouldn't be very honest if I just pretended that everything was fine. Um, but I wanted it to come across in a way that wasn't necessarily angry um, because. Not because I don't think anger is a valid emotion. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of very angry memoirs which other people find really empowering and really important. Um, but for me, it just it just it's not uh, an emotion that I really want to cling to for a long period of time. So, um, yeah, what I wanted to come through at the end was more just like, yeah, yes, the human pain, but also the resilience and. Um, I think also just the acknowledgement that like, yeah, life is, life is full of pain for, for everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, we all just have to kind of like find a way to, to still try to be good people despite the, the shit that we have to go through. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I, I want to talk about, I want to talk about hair. <laughs> and you're Great. probably a little sick of talking about it, um, but I, I, it seems so important to everyone, right? I, I mean, does it surprise you how much it matters? I mean, particularly, pati well, no, to every, I was going to say particularly to women, but I, you know, I think to everyone. Um, I know it was important to me growing up. Um, the hair on my head, 
the hair on my face, the hair on my arms, you know, every, every bit of hair seemed to be infused with some ridiculous symbolic meaning. And of course, there are many people out there who make a lot of money off of encouraging um, <laughs> this kind of, you know, this combination of vanity and self-loathing. Um, but just talk to me about it because you lean into it so beautifully in the memoir. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess as a teenager, when I sort of started growing facial hair, I wasn't perhaps really aware that it would be such an issue. Um, and I'm not sure if that was just sort of naivety or, you know, maybe my my family always sort of uh, encouraged me to just be myself. And I was like, yeah, just be myself and everything will be fine, you know. <laughs> And then you and then you realize that you know people will make your life very difficult if they don't like something about you in high school. <laughs> um and or if it threatens somebody else's sense of identity, which I guess is where the Yeah. Weird, you know, push yeah, for sure. From. For sure. Um and I mean I yeah, I've often like wondered why why is it that female facial hair is so threatening to to other people because um yeah in my experience people people really do stare and they stare at you in a way which there's this kind of like coldness sometimes in their eyes where it's just like it's it's hard to put into words but I've often felt like they look at you like um that you you're not even sort of like human to them um or the the violation of the norms of, of gender uh, are so affronting to, to them that they're just like, how dare you? <laughs> and, and yet, you know, that's the, the, the weird thing that, you know, it strikes me reading the book. And it's not the first time it struck me, but it strikes me quite dramatically reading the book is that every woman has facial hair. <laughs> like it doesn't, I mean, yeah. I, know, I know that, you know, um, people with PCOS have more, but nevertheless, like, everyone has facial like every yeah or don't know hair any or... woman hasn't <laughs> welded a tweezer on themselves <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah but I think I don't know I guess um I I feel like the like sex is is just as constructed as as gender in in many ways Absolutely, and, of course yeah so there's this kind of like policing of the of the boundaries and these um those kind of like liminal zones where something might where one category may touch another category sort of like that's very forbidden and um uh of course you know it's the it's women and femmes and female assigned people who are made to police their own bodies so that they stay well away from the masculine <laughs> qualities um or maleness um and and in and, the shops buying products that you know as i say uh, people make money off of these um these binaries oh uh, yeah it's a big business and it's very time consuming and yet something which i think uh, a, a feminist scholar whose whose work i looked at um said is like it's it's often also uh viewed as like a trivial um embarrassing thing to be bothered talking about so um you know female facial hair is uh on the one hand extremely important that you don't have it you know but if you wanted to talk about it or write about it um it's kind of like oh like oh that, that's an embarrassing and 
boring topic to explore you know like it's oh it's not really that important like why would you focus on something so trivial and so like how can it be both (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's it's I mean I guess it is but um I think there's just like yeah that dual kind of like um suppression of the hair and then of the of the topic so you have to make the hair go away and then you also have to um be quiet about the process of of removing it and um obviously that makes people feel very isolated so they may feel like they're the only one tweezing hairs off their chin and oh why won't my body behave you know um but it's a very very common experience and it would be nice if if it was just a little bit more kind of um acknowledged I guess yeah, which is one of the wonderful things about your book. So uh, I just want to ask you one more question, which is uh, really um, what's next? Uh, I, I've, I've read some of your exquisite essays on rock pools uh, in the Sydney Review of Books. And I, I was really taken, for example, by the line, I felt that this place was opening something inside of me, permeating my boundaries, expanding my idea of community to include other people and the more than human world, which seems like a natural tra- trajectory from how to be between um mm-hmm. is, is is that a, a, will there be a component of the phd which is likely be a book yeah absolutely that is that is my plan so yeah my my phd at the moment is looking at um our relation relationships or it's it's an eco memoir so uh it's um part memoir part exploration of local ecology and our relationships with local ecology in here in Mullabimba Newcastle um and yeah again I'm really interested in these this kind of like uh well you know like rock pools is a the intertidal community it's this kind of like between place where uh, there's a great abundance of of life and very um incredible incredibly adaptive life at at those kind of boundary places or sometimes they're called like ecotones like where one one type of environment starts to blend into another Um, I'm also really interested in exploring uh just like the tension, I guess, between like urban and sort of like natural places and um, how, yeah, like at the moment I'm really interested in a, a reserve in Newcastle called George McGregor Reserve, which is about to have a, a bypass built through it, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm kind of doing like a little bit of um, field work, I guess, going out into the world and and finding ways to connect with with different places and um, animals and um, people who who are working in these environments I guess um, and yeah trying to figure out like what's the next kind of um, uh, if if my first book was really about you know answering that question like what are you maybe the next one will will be about um like who are you in the world as a as a bigger place as a as a part of the the, the natural ecosystem which you are totally. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful it sounds like an absolutely perfect trajectory so looking forward to that and uh i've been interviewing Besh and fox feeling um around their memoir how to be between absolutely wonderful book um that's all we have time for but Bastian, thank you so much for joining me today Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to to speak with you. Bye for now.